Welcome to our podcast. If you enjoy this segment, we encourage you to check out the others. Also, if you're new to Hedgeye, you qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back to another Real Conversation. We're one of my favorite Fed people, Daniel DiMartino Booth, and I are going to talk about the Fed. Uh, and we're going to get right into it with a no-holds-barred, uh, as you usually would. You're not going to hold anything back. I'm not holding back. Sorry. No, no? good, good, mm-hmm. good. So 73% today, Fed funds, futures indicating probability of a rate cut. Do you agree with that? That's what you get from one down day in the market? <laughs> Seriously. Wow. I mean, I guess blood can buy you anything you want. Yeah, it's, it's Because strange. it was 45% after Powell's Heisman press conference last week. Yeah. That's what he did. He gave everybody the Heisman. Yeah, so how do you think about that? Do you think that that's just the beginning? Um, of a big decline in stocks? No in, t- no, in terms of how Powell's trying to you know, play or attempt to play the game. I don't, I don't know how you want to You know, I think Powell that. is actually serious about rewriting the rules. Completely. I mean, you, you've got Lael Brainerd on the wires. Nobody from the Fed is randomly speaking these days about anything. Mm-hmm. It is all strategic talk. Mm-hmm. Fed speak is, is something that we would prefer to disregard. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. So she's talking about not having a, Brainerd this morning was talking about not having a set level of QE once we hit the zero bound. Okay, so that's broadcast. Mm-hmm. That's end of story. We're going back to zero. That's A. B, she's saying we'll just target where we want rates to be, whether it's the one-year or the two-year rate. Mm-hmm. That's what Japan is doing today. Wonderful. And that's what they're discussing at the Fed. So interest rate targeting effectively is, I mean, but she's she was always, in, and I think this is what people love, or at least one of the many things people love about you, which is that you know all the ins and outs of all these different characters at the Fed, which yes. there are, and we've made nice cartoon characters of some of them, which they don't particularly like in some cases, in other cases they like. But Lyle Brainerd, maybe, maybe contextualize who she is and who she might become under even a 50% chance. So she would have been Treasury Secretary under Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. I think we knew this. Mm-hmm. And it is a matter of public record. I, I find to be uh, very questionable behavior from a, being a former Fed insider to publicly donate to a presidential campaign. Is that what she did? Wow. Oh, that's a matter of public record, period, wow. end. That's sketchy. So we knew she would have been Treasury Secretary. We know she's got tremendous power. We know she's got huge ambitions for the future. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. Um, she wasn't necessarily loved by Yellen, which is interesting mm-hmm. to me, given they're so dovish, the two of them. It's probably because she's so politi- political. I mean, Yellen was just like literally weenie bin, academic, la- raging labor economist. I could raging go on labor economist, but the, the problem with, you know, I, I, don't, I don't take it away from Brainerd that she's overtly political, mm-hmm. because to me that at least is a little bit more intellectually honest than Yellen saying she was not political while keeping rates for too low for too long. And not understanding that at the same time she was financing Uncle Sam's borrowing rates and letting Congress basically not do their job Mm -hmm. because they just were able to hand it off to the Fed. Mm -hmm. So it's called the sin of omission, but I'd rather have the the politicking be overt. 
Mm-hmm. So I'll give that to Brainerd. Mm-hmm. Now, if the politicking were to, look, let's just give it a coin toss because I don't want to upset some of you that mm-hmm. are political. Uh, I'm, of course, Canadian, you know, non-Republican, non-Democrat, I can say this. I'm, I'm not making a political statement. <laughs> I'm just saying that this notion, the Economist putting on the front cover of their magazine a few weeks ago, that there's, you know, Fed independence is at risk. I'm like, come on, man. Please. That's, that's, that's been political since Volcker walked out of the door, <laughs> since the day Volcker walked out of the door. It is also a matter of public record that Alan Greenspan, after 1987 and the meltdown in stocks, fed information via the New York Fed on liquidity injections into the bond market to bond traders prior to the Fed's moves. Mm-hmm. That's called front-running the Fed. Yeah. You can't I, tell I, me that's not political. I, I, don't, I, I can't imagine Greenspan. I mean, he toasted the new millennial... Uh, celebration with the Clintons. I'm sure that that had nothing to do with his political uh, affiliations or anything like that. But anyway, like, let's just say we have no, you know, there's no politics to this. Okay. And there's at least a 50% chance that the Democrats, um, you know, roll in with their new team. What is the percentage chance, like, of her being, Wild Brainerd being part of that team, the central part of that team? Oh, I think it's a 100% chance. Okay. I so think there it's you go. a slam dunk. So we went from 50 to 100. Mm-hmm. So, that, so, so she really does matter. Oh, absolutely. And, and what also matters is, and I'm sure you watch this. But, I mean, we would have MMT overnight. And I want to get into your definition of that because there's so many different mm-hmm. rabbit holes we can go down. Mm-hmm. But the Hoover Institute had their big, you know, let's, were you there by the chance? No. No, I certainly wouldn't be invited yeah, to I'm that. Yeah, I'm thinking they would probably bar the doors. They invited Darius Dale, um, my, my chief guy, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and he sat at the same table as, as our friend Steve Leesman. Um, so that was the end of Darius's invites. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we're live, aren't we? <laughs> but anyway, we got some. We we had some very, um, you know, explicit. The, the main takeaway is explicit. They are looking for any reason in the aggregate. All Fed people coming out of the Hoover Institute, which certainly isn't the most. Um, I wouldn't. Say, it's certainly not the most lefty place. But people are basically saying it's not. But it's where Bernanke hangs his hat, and he publicly renounced being a Republican. Okay. Well, then that that, that that's definitely not righty. Okay. Uh, but. That place was basically saying, what can we do to redefine the zero bound? And how oh. fast can we go there? I mean, that was basically the takeaway. And, and I wonder wait, if wait. this is... Define, e- redefine. No, I, I, I'm not going to define what I wouldn't define. I mean, it's like, what and how fast is this happening? Is this literally everyone joining arms now at the Fed, no matter what your rank, and having Powell say, look, I'm in. I'll be the guy to redefine and go to MMT or whatever it's going to be. But the Fed is, the, the Fed is in denial about MMT. Mm-hmm. They're publicly against MMT. They don't even understand that they created it. They're, they're, I'm telling you, they're, they're absolutely in denial. I think that the reason Jay Powell publicly said MMT is on its face wrong. You cannot have debt increase indefinitely as a nation philosophically opposed. Um, But I think the reason he was trying so hard to say quantitative tightening is going to equal a trillion dollars because every single security that the Fed purchased in its last round of QE, because we know another one's coming, every single security that the Fed purchased in its first three rounds of QE, anything that doesn't get rolled off is not effectively, it is de facto debt monetization. Okay which gives MMTers license to say if it worked to bail out Wall Street, then it can work to bail out Main Street. Mm-hmm. It's time for universal basic income. We know that we can print money to kingdom come and never have inflation. Okay, so universal basic income. I want everybody to get these two things right. Mm-hmm. UBI, 
and MMT. Universal basic income, I think most people can figure that out on their own. Can you explain like to the most layman of laymen, new, new found, and everybody will be following the Fed if, if we go there, Yeah. Uh, if, if anyone isn't already that's watching this, because who else would watch this? But what is MMT? Modern monetary theory. Uh, I mean, it sounds so, so erudite. It sounds so, <laughs> I, it, it, it was like large scale asset purchases because we're not going to call it QE. Uh-uh. So put a fancy name on it. It sounds very viable that way. Uh, and what it really means is printing money for the purpose of fiscal endeavors. Okay. You name that fiscal endeavor, whatever it may be, health care for everybody, um, universal basic income, which under Bernanke's definition is helicopter money, you are direct depositing money into every American's bank account indefinitely. And indefinitely is the most important aspect of MMT I think people should appreciate. Mm-hmm. And if inflation does rear its ugly head, according to advocates, then all you do is raise taxes. Mm-hmm. And then so, you rein that in. So it's a way for somebody who, you know, like if, if you believe that the, the Republican and Democrat divide on, on the Fed, uh, quite simply is, okay, I'm going to print money and get corporates paid. They're going to go buy the most you know, exotic levered loan that they can possibly create, and they're going to get paid billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Corporates get paid, and the people get pounded. So that's a way to transfer directly to the people's account mm-hmm. you, effectively the, 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 right. the transmission mechanism that they have. Isn't, that, that, isn't that the right thing? To, the and way and to that is, that? a buddy of mine, uh, Jim Bianco, wrote an, an, a column for Bloomberg recently where he said... MMT, despite itself, will probably work and get advocated for initially. Yeah. I mean, uh, we spoke yesterday. Initially. Indefinitely and initially. These are two key words to remember. Exactly. Because, look, we we have reserve currency status. Mm -hmm. Until we lose reserve currency status, we can do what we want with the printing press. Right? Until China is in a position, fiscally, and militarily, by the way. And that's not hyperbole. It's not, they're not building islands in the middle of oceans for fun. Mm. It's not some engineering experiment. It's not. But, but China's not there. China's a black box of debt. We only know that it's got upwards of 300% of, of debt to GDP. That might be problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, but bringing it back to the United States, we're being told that that wouldn't make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, all these issues come on the word indefinitely because initially people like to get paid. If I take away your student loans and I deposit money directly into your account, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who like that idea. Well, that would be the first deployment for MMT. Yep. But would be to write saying, all those off. But if you make that indefinite, you become the socialist nation, and actually, whether you're a communist might look actually a little bit more capitalistic than you in Absolutely. that regard. So that's why you're bringing into the indefinite side of the discussion right. the geopolitical risks associated with China. So I'm going to take advantage of your goodwill right now and put my new hashtag out there because I have a new hashtag. I have a new acronym. It's called MMT, Modern Meritocracy Theory. Ah, okay. I can go there. Whole new hashtag. Let's, instead of paying people to sit on their backsides... That's a polite way of a Texan saying it, yeah. ...with universal basic income, let's reform our education system. You want to print the money? Put it to good use. Mm -hmm. Bring innovation back. Look at Germany's labor force participation rate. 
I mean, we're talking about robust. In the 70s, can you imagine what we had? You know, we, we've got a 68.2% labor force participation rate. 770,000 people have left the workforce since December. So we are back into an atrophying mode. 65% of the jobs created in April were in low-paying industries. We're back to eat, seek, eat, drink, and get sick industries that don't pay you anything. Home health care workers, waitresses, bartenders. That's an atrophying workforce. Mm -hmm. Let's make it go the other way. Bring vocational training back like it never left Germany. Why do you think they're manufacturing and exporting powerhouse? Mm -hmm. So you end up in a place, because you've been one of the you know, non-advocates of zombie companies and what oh. you know, the, the non-capitalistic virtues that those carry. Um, and this would basically flip that on its head. This, you know, obviously the word meritocratic implies it. Right. Uh, but how would, you, how, would, how would a central banker think about making that switch? You know, this is, this is... Well, A, it's not a central, central banker's business. Okay. And we'll on, a, on the most fundamental level, the problem with the Fed's dual mandate is that in 1977, when they added the employment mandate, mm -hmm. that was the beginning of the end when we started to get mission creep. Because if you are a capitalist nation, then by definition, you leave the workforce in the hands of the private sector. It's simply one of the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. If you want to have creeping socialism, then you hand it to the central bankers. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not a political statement. It is simply a matter of whether or not we want to be a democracy, whether or not we want to have capitalism in this country or not. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have capitalism, then you educate everybody. Yep. So it's not, it's the, the, the MMT that people are thinking about before you hashtag it is the opposite of your MMT. That's, um, you know, that, that makes sense. Because you're effectively getting the government to fund all of your socialist ideas with MMT. Right. The other MMT, not your MMT. Right. I don't want to confuse people with that. Which but, is going to cause, you, you think we've got an atrophying workforce now. Yeah. <laughs> you're just going you, you, to put the whole workforce on methadone. <laughs> what good does that do? Okay, so I, not shockingly. Promise, promise, I'll, I'll start, start holding back. Not, not shockingly, you, you, we both are, you come, we come out hot. Uh, but I want to take it back for a second and set, just mention that the dual mandate. And I just want to, like, you know, put the BS factor on what it's actually become. So the dual yeah. mandate, full employment, and price stability. You know, the, and the, the triple one, the stock market. Well, that's nobody would ever say that. I could never say that. Right? Um, but, but where are we? Let's take the inflation component or the price stability component. You've written about it a lot. Now, actually, I have a, a good, I think, one of the better quotes that, that you've had, uh, or if anyone's had on this, and I'll just read it. I see Fed members as hiding behind a broken inflation metric to maintain their dovish stance. We're definitely closer to 2%, but that has nothing to do with where the Fed wants to be. No, it doesn't. The Fed is hiding behind core PCE. It, it makes the Fed into just a wimp. And, I mean, <laughs> okay, tell me, have your health care deductibles gone up in recent years? Have your co-pays gone up in recent years? I've got four kids. Let me tell you about co-pays and multiplying them out. So where is the logic behind using Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates to calculate healthcare inflation in America? Because that's what feeds the core PCE. Yep. That's like the second largest line item after rent and housing for your average working Joe and your average working Jane. Period end, and yet the Fed uses it, and the Fed knows it's broken. This was internally acknowledged when I was there. Stanley Fisher's first FOMC meeting. This is in my book. 
is he, he stands up, he, he addresses the committee, why don't you use headline CPI? It's the closest thing we've got to reality. Mm-hmm. So why not use it? What is this with this core PCE thing? So some you know, brave Fed staffer in the back <laughs> of the room, handshaking, <laughs> raises their hands. If we didn't use core PCE, our models would break. Yeah. It wouldn't work. So Bullard who I've decided has a great sense of humor, it's just a hidden attribute, he just needs to use it more, says, let me get this straight. This is how we make monetary policy. Crap in, crap out. They know it. Mm -hmm. They know they're using a broken inflation metric, and yet they hide behind it and tell us that they can't hit their target, and therefore maybe they should use an average rate. Maybe we should stay lower for possibly ever. That's a new hashtag. No, forget lower for longer. No. Don't fight the Fed. Lower forever. Mm-hmm. That's. I mean, Ben Bernanke can say with a straight face at $150 oil that there's no inflation. There will never be inflation, so yeah. you have nothing to worry about. Um, Somebody should drop him off at a gas <laughs> pump and leave him there. <laughs> so we know that on, So if, if we have the two, in, uh, until they change it to MMT, if we still go with the dual mandate, inflation has actually fallen 100 basis points even on headline. Okay. Uh, but we have it going up anyway. Uh, that, that's our forecast. But let's, right. let's just check that over and here. And durable goods uh, was down 5.3% in the first quarter. Terrible. So how could we not have deflationary pressures yeah, building? Yeah, I mean, because I mean, the oil, consumer's not well. Oil collapses 40%, and that's what happens. Right. Well. Um, but anyway, let's just check the inflation thing at the door because we know that the Fed, as long as credit spreads whitening, P. Powell, our friend, is going to come in and he's going to go dovish, no matter what inflation's doing, yeah. because they know it's broken. It doesn't matter. On the full employment mandate, mm-hmm. what if, I mean, we have not seen jobless claims hook up in a decade. No, we haven't. I mean, how much easier would it see, like, I'm, I've been bullish on treasuries for about eight months. Now, how much easier would it be to see a 2% 10-year yield if jobless claims are clocking 275, 300? Is there any way that any Federal Reserve member, politicized or not, sees jobless claims going up on a weekly basis? It's a weekly data point, as you know. Yep. And they don't go incrementally more dovish in the face of that? Is there any possible way? No. no. Hell no. Has there ever been a Federal Reserve member, staffer, anybody who's basically said, oh, jobless claims rising is a reason to raise interest rates right now? No, but according to the current administration, it's a roaring economy, and therefore we should cut interest rates by 100 basis points and deploy QE immediately. So well, as they, long as we're in the crazy world, then upside down makes sense. Yeah, I don't think anybody believes anything that Trump says about economics. But, I mean, it, what I do believe is what the Fed would do this if the jobless claims are This around. is Pence, yeah. who came from the state of Indiana that has one of the most funded pensions on planet Earth. But his, his, what he said, which is basically 100 basis, we need 100 basis point cut right. despite a roaring economy, then he, he's going to say, I need 500 basis points of cuts when you see jobless claims rising. But he also had a moment of lucidity yeah. when he said the Fed needs to go back to the single mandate of inflation only. Single mandate. Single mandate. Well, that would really ruin it for the Fed because when it you get certainly the- would party over. Because <laughs> jobless claims, I think it's going to make it easiest. I'm sure my team can pop that up there. But I mean, this is one of the most asymmetric charts that are, as you know, late yeah. cycle. You've written about it extensively. You know, growth has been slowing, but what we've not seen mm-hmm. is a breakout in jobless claims and traditional labor metrics. No. Once that happens, I mean, I, I, I fundamentally believe that the ten-year yield could go as low as it can go. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it indeed? Look, we, and, and what we're seeing is not even reality. You've seen a protracted decline in self-employed. A, you're not going to list a job opening for yourself. So <laughs> no. that's not going to get picked up in the job openings data. 
B, you're not going to claim for, and you're not going to go claim for, un, for, for unemployment if you fire yourself. <laughs> so, and I mean, whether you're part of the gig economy or the gray economy, I mean, Moody's released a study last December that basically said jobless claims are 20% understated. And the only reason I bring up this detail is because when we do see a turn in jobless claims, then it's really going to be bad. Mm -hmm. That's really the peanut butter hitting the fan moment. Yeah, I mean, because that peanut butter, that's an exponential function. It doesn't go up slowly. Uh -uh. I mean, this is like no, that's literally hitting stick. the fan. Yeah. And that was the other thing that I thought was, uh, you know, a few people in the media were brave enough to say, you know, the 3.6% unemployment rate traditionally, historically, has not been good news mm -hmm. because when it gets to be that low, 12 months later, you're typically not in a better place. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just basic mean reversion off an asymmetric low. So you end up in that place. But I mean, if you go... Because you've got to go back to the 80s. Well, a lot to, of people... Have the, well, no, you've got to go back to the, what, 1969. Uh, I, th I mean, you, people can look at kind of how quickly that hooks up. And what you see is it hooks up into what we show on the chart, which is a red bar, which is a recession. Now, most people that I meet with, certainly if they run credit money, Mm -hmm. They say, well, look, hey, as long as there's no recession, all good. Buy every damn dip. We got P, pal at the, at, at, at the switch. Yep. They know that, and I know that, so that one's hard to refute. Um, but they are not willing to tie a – because I'm not in the recession camp. I'm in growth slowing, but a profit recession camp. Now, I can tie pretty closely profits, if they're in recession, to you losing your job, okay, which would tie to jobless claims rising. Right. Okay, so – like how but do, that leads to recession. Yeah, but how, so so is there? It, do you do you get in that debate a lot with people? Well, because I think you're probably closer to making a recession call than I am. Do you feel like I you am, have and, to I, have and I was. I was 868 billion of People's Bank of China stimulus ago. Yep. But I'm not. Look, it's 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 never going to not be follow the liquidity. Mm -hmm. It will always be all about the liquidity, but. If the liquidity dries up in any way, shape, or form, and you have another slump mm. in the stock market, that is what was what accompanied the Duke CFO survey from the fourth quarter, when a vast majority of CFOs across America said we're going to have a recession in 2019, mm -hmm. and that means we write pink slips. Our our bonus pools just declined. I'm making less money. We've got to cut costs. That means firing people. You've seen the workforce begin to contract. Hours always precede bodies. How it works. Yep. And so if, if the stock market goes down again, then the rebound that we saw in Q1 CFO optimism vanishes. Goes away. And you get more of the, and by the way, for your profits recession, what are, what are categories number two and three? in the Challenger Gray and Christmas layoff report? I don't know. Number one is retail. Yeah, retail. I, I bet you would have guessed that. Yeah. Number two is industrials, mm -hmm. and number three is autos, mm -hmm. broken out as a separate category. Mm -hmm. That's a profits recession. Mm -hmm. That They're is a actually, cyclical indicator. Yeah, on our guys, you can show our, like, we have a nowcast for GDP, and mm -hmm. we weight them by incremental impact. So retail sales, industrial production, they would, they would fit on the same profile, because it's like, it's like no shit, Sherlock. That's what that that's what affects the economy. Now, and everybody says, you know, but manufacturing doesn't matter. We're a services economy, and I'm like, it leads. Mm -hmm. like, I don't care how small of an indicator it is. It leads, mm -hmm. and manufacturing jobs pay well, which gets us gets us back to the 65 percent of jobs in April that were created being low paying. Mm -hmm. We're a consumption driven economy. 
it's a fact. This will be a really interesting one for Trump to deal with, you know, because he's had full throttle, full economy, peak cycle, peak, 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 peak GDP, peak inflation, peak jobs. Everything has been peak, so he That's can right. actually look like he's not lying about it until he's. It looks like he's lying about it. It'll be interesting to see that. Another point on this, which is, I often see. Well, certainly you and I will be critical on on people at the Fed or in government, particularly the socialist types. But the um, CEOs of companies. Like today, a company by the name of Microchip, you may or may not know it, but the, the, the CEO declared definitively only last quarter that the bottom is in, in the cycle, in the semiconductor cycle. Today, he guides down because he says, due to recent developments due to the tri- Chinese trade deal, the bottom's because, not in. Because that's new news. <laughs> because but, that hasn't been around. But, but how much of the, the, my main question is, this is my third rodeo, last, in 20 years, I've seen three cycle peaks. You know, 1999, 2000, 2007, 2008, and this most recent one. And it's always the same that the CEOs and the CFOs are almost as bad as the people at the Fed or in government. So how do you, like, where's the accountability in that, or what do you think about that? Do you, do you agree with that? Look, they have to talk their book. They have to. They have to sell their holdings. They have to make money. They buy back the stock and they sell the holdings into it? Of course they do. I, we're, I can't wait to see I'm this I'm not company. even saying that cynically. They no. do. Yeah. No, it's not cynical. I mean, it's, it's, it's well published. And it should be expected. But at the same time, it doesn't make it right. Um, so no, does it, it doesn't. I mean, look, most share buybacks are funded by cash. Mm-hmm. Period. End. Cheap debt has made it, has kind of turbocharged share buybacks. It's been a kicker, if you will. But the vast preponderance of buybacks, and boy, I, I, Twitter blows up with the hatred, the vitriol. It's all about debt. And I'm like... No, companies actually have cash, yeah. and they're using it to buy back their shares. We just hit the all-time high in U.S. corporate profits. I mean, it's, not, it's an asinine comment to make that people are just lever- – lever- they might use leverage because they have more cash flow, but it's, yep. it, it was an epic cycle peak in terms of the U.S. profit cycle, yeah. one that we've never – probably will never see again due to tax reform. Look, I, I, I may be bearish, but I'm not delusional. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are simple facts of life, mm-hmm. and that is one of them. But the reason why Twitter blows up is because people are political. They're emotional and they're political. So how does this – actually feed back into the MMT. Let's just fast forward and say, okay, let's say there's a base case to be made that the chart that I just showed, which is growth will continue to slow, pick the trajectory of the slowdown, fine. Mm -hmm. Jobless claims are rising. Profits are in a recession. What are the odds that the people don't sign up for the next bailout if it's handed to them as opposed to the banks? That'll be the it's square squarely on time with the with the U.S. election. So, I mean, it's a very reasonable, you know, Wait, uh, wait, wait. Are you asking if there won't be positive reception on the part of the people? <laughs> what? Why wouldn't it be positive? Why wouldn't that be a ringing endorsement for what, what would change America for some people and how they think? Free it, money. It would, if they reject the free money, that means that they're red-blooded Americans. <laughs> Sorry. Look, our, our founding fathers, you can't erase history. You can't erase you can't. the foundations of this country. And you know, I think at some point that the, the greater political risk is going to be what's left of our middle class saying enough is enough. Yeah. We want the American dream back. So you think there'll be We don't want you to pay, pay for us to sit on our backsides. Yeah. Oh, so in the meantime, what you have is not those people or the people, and I, I refuse to talk about people in terms of what class they're in. I think that's what, I mean, first of all, it's very, it's look, Mark, you have, you have, Karl Marx. Look, I, I think University of Michigan does a fantastic job 
of saying you've got the bottom third of income earners, mm -hmm. you've got the middle third and the top third. Much better. Much and better. I think that that is a, a great way to look at yeah. it. Yeah, because look, because look, it, you, you say middle class and it's like Pavlovian, what comes to mind? Yeah. Class warfare. Yeah. Well, it is, it's in the first uh, paragraph of the Communist Manifesto. It's pitting classes against each other. Mm -hmm. And that's you know, Paul Krugman's life and career, and he's done well by it, at least by his own recognition on that. Uh, but and when, yet MMTers want, want to take us there. But if you just like look at peop, the people, which is a better definition, I think. And again, my dad was a firefighter, so we didn't consider ourselves a part of some class. Uh, and nor was I an American. But you sure. know, some Canadians think like capitalists, which is totally cool, uh, which is why I'm here. But if, if, I, if, if I look at you know, the people and their voice, which will be heard in the election, versus the voices we're hearing now, the voices mm -hmm. we're hearing now are the billionaires, and we're hearing more and more and more billionaires. Which is so quaint. So what is it? What is it? What do you think about that? Dalio, pick whoever. I mean, Dalio has a lot of thoughts on MMT, um, certainly has a lot of thoughts on some of your ideas, which have to do with um, you know, reconstituting the educational system. He does. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, he's, he's actually a, a doer, not a sayer, when yep. it comes to education. Big as time. At, it's like Bill Gates is a doer, not a sayer when it comes to global health care. Exactly. Um, so you can't take that away. Well, what, what Ray Dalio is doing uh, in the education system for Connecticut is off the hook, unprecedented. Yep. With his own money. Yeah. yeah no, it's no, no, amazing. No. Him and his wife are doing and, phenomenal things. And that brings us back to my modern meritocracy theory, which is a better pathway. What irritates me about the billionaires the most is that they're... They're either intimidated by the Fed, which I doubt, or they're beholden to the Fed mm. because the Fed has made them the billionaires that they are. Really? So they won't. <laughs> I need to right, hear more about But they this. won't. They won't. They will. They have a lot of good things to say about the dangers of the inequality divide, right? Because that's the politics of economics. That's when. That's when you have the people who paid off their student loans who want to go and, and get their next-door neighbor's millennial child who's had $300,000 of student loans forgiven, that's when you get them in the middle of the night knocking on the door and saying, I paid off my student loans. Where's my money? I want a refund. So, but I wish the people who were saying so much about this inequality divide would connect the last dot to the Eccles building, mm -hmm. to the Fed but they refuse to connect that dot, and it makes me crazy. The biggest dot. The biggest dot. In, it is. I mean, if you think of... Uh, You've got to have a banker. You have to have somebody to facilitate your bad behavior. That's the Fed. Yeah. The, 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 the bubble in corporate credit, which you've written extensively about, or now the, the risk that they're saying, oh, wow, look, we have a levered loan risk. Yeah, it's like, again, it's like, no shit, Sherlock. I mean, these but, things... But I have been told. But fact, I was told on Twitter today that... That the, that the structure of, of levered loans is safer than it oh, used I've to be. Oh, I've been told. I've been told. Yeah. And I'm like, is that what 80% covenant light means? Or does it just mean that you have a longer noose with which to hang well, these, your investors? These are, um, I, I've looked at these in many different ways as an investor, as an analyst, particularly CLOs. I mean, they're actually structured like LLCs. The further down these rabbit holes you go, the scarier, the scarier it becomes because you don't know where you are. Unless you're just, you know, the wabbit who likes to be down in the dark. But then you realize that there are a lot of other people that will be down there in the dark. And the biggest buyer, all the way back to this, are the Japanese. So it's an interesting thing. Isn't that ironic? And it's, it's, it's an amazing Star thing. Star for yield? Though. Got yield? Oh, jeez. But uh, back to this. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter if you're a trillionaire or a billionaire. Do, is there one who is talking about all the, the, the solutions to inequality that hasn't come out and said, look, 
The people got screwed, and we got paid. You know, just look at, you guys can show it, slide, uh, I think it's slide 60 in the current macro deck. We just show the U.S. Uh, ratio of corporate profits to labor, going back historically. It's, it's a very straightforward picture. It's going into my weekly today. Okay. That graph is going into my weekly today. I mean, I don't know how much more basic a relationship you could see, but in the last 20 years in particular, corporate profits have gone to all-time highs, yep. and labor on relative and absolute basis And executive pay has gone to all-time highs. Right. Now, some would call that capitalistic, but others would say there's a little bit of a thing called free money from the Fed and bailout money that came alongside that. Exactly. So who is carrying that, you know, that banner? That is the truth. I, I, I just need to hear somebody say it. Is there somebody... Well, you know, look, Warren Buffett has, has, has maintained for years that he should pay more taxes than his secretary. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's a big critic of PE, but that's because he's not long private equity. And private equity, I mean, if you don't have to mark the market like, like people that are running hedge funds do, then they made the right call. Yeah. I mean, the private, if, you didn't, if you start one of these crappy hedge funds that haven't made money in 10 years, or you started a private equity fund that is getting free money you know, out the wazoo as far as the eye can see. Three and 30. <laughs> it's the new black. Then why aren't they smarter than you, Mr. Hedge Fund Genius? You don't get mad, bro. You know, this is a, and by the way, we're going down a bit. No, no, we're going to get a lot just, of questions But they're, they're riding the right wave. Yeah. And they're where they need to be. Mm-hmm. They're, they're where, you know, you remember Orange, Angelo, Mazzillo? Tangelo. Tangelo. The Tangelo. Okay. <laughs> they're just playing by his rules. That's it. They're just doing business where they can do it unfettered, unregulated. But will it be the Fed's problem one day? Oh, yeah. Everything in the shadows but will the Fed is the Fed's be, problem be, one day. The very basic you know, bailout last time is of the bankers. This time you have to bail out the buy side. Yeah. That's going to go over really well. With red, red-blooded Americans? Yeah. Who's going to like that? I buy the Willis Tower based on a <laughs> multiple of my personal earnings. <laughs> Two times my income sold. I'll take the tallest structure in Chi Town. Woo! Okay, that was cynical. I I, I didn't agree or disagree. Uh, we'll take your questions. So I know you have there. There are a lot of questions, as you might imagine, here, Danielle. And I'm going to try to um, effectively get to the ones that um, can you get please you going ask Danielle to tone it down. If there is a multi-year trade war with China, how and will? U.S. economic growth be affected by that? I think that's a pretty straightforward question. I don't know what the answer is. Poorly. You think it's getting great now? <laughs> Poorly. Uh, Danielle and Keith, is Dalio right? Meaning we will enter pre-MMT world because we were talking about the need to cut rates and print more money when we have great employment data and almost everything else at the all-time highs. Is the liberal world economy dead? I don't know about that. Hmm. That last part. Yeah. Well, if you take out the last part, like, is Dalio right? Is basically, do you think that Dalio's right? I mean, actually, some Again, every single penny of securities that the Federal Reserve purchased in QE that cannot be rolled off of the Fed's balance sheet is de facto debt monetization. So Dalio's correct. Mm -hmm. We've taken the first step to MMT by virtue of Bernanke. And I'll take it one step further. He gave a speech in Japan years ago where he said, all you need to do, and this is going to scramble. Bernanke did, not Dahlia. Bernanke did. Yeah. But it's going it, to scramble your brain, Keith. All you need to do is to issue zero coupon preferreds. Excuse me, zero coupon perpetual bonds. Zero coupon <laughs> perpetual <laughs> bond. And then you just buy them. And then that's how you print all the yen in the world, and let's just keep this amongst ourselves. 
I'll travel back. Me, Ben, is going to travel back to the United States. Yep. Shh. Post good sushi dinners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, lots of nice steaks. And, and they go out and then they print all the monies and then they go buy all the stocks. And Bernanke's the one who said, we're exiting. Yeah, what, we're going to roll every penny off. I think off. what people forget about this is, you know, given that the Fed has supported Wall Street and certainly bankers and their mm-hmm. bailouts, I mean, look at how bank stocks have done in Japan since Bernanke's grand experiment has played out. It's a really bad idea if you're a banker or if you own ba- the, their stocks. I mean, the percentage declines are epic. You know, post, during, and throughout the biggest quantitative easing yeah, in the history I'm, of humanity. You know, I, I'm kind of, uh, I'm really anxiously awaiting Draghi's determination about whether or not QE in Europe has harmed the banks. Because he wasn't sure last time he was on the record. <laughs> I'm like, sure. can you pull up a chart of the banking index in Europe, buddy? Does that answer your question? That guy wants to get out of Dodge. Draghi oh, gosh. Faster Halloween than... day. Is that, is that Halloween the last one? Halloween is his last the... day on the job. Do you have Boom. thoughts on who would repl- who should or will? Do you got to lean as far left as he can, or do you go with the German? Uh, the problem with going for a German is that... The, however you want to say losing face in Germany, th- that would be problematic. Yeah, because Germans are supposed to be hawkish. They're supposed yeah. to be, um, you know, the non-QE set. But that's why you haven't seen anybody raise their hand yeah. in Germany. Because they have this little problem on their hands called Deutsche mm-hmm. Bank. Yeah, Weidman, which traded within three cents of its all-time low. Weidman yesterday. was much more anticipatory, like, or at least was trying to get the job faster. Certainly was. And but uh, but that's a huge political yeah. morass in and of itself because nobody in the South mm-hmm. wants a German running the ECB. By the way, back, um, you, another thing before I, there's these questions. Thanks for the questions. Keep them coming. Uh, on Bernanke, at the Fed, what did, I think, were you at the Fed in 06? Oh, yes. Okay. So when Bernanke wrote the Sub, new normal subprimes so that you become the head of the Fed, you have, to, you have to come up with something that makes you the man. Uh, he, when he wrote the new normal of volatility, 06, i.e. we wouldn't have Markovic. This is in 06. This is what made him in the academic ranks this guy. Like, I still can't for the life of me. Wait, wait, let, let, let me connect it out here. Bernanke invented the short volatility trade? <laughs> so how, how, did the, how did that go amongst... Has Dalio thanked him? How did, how did it go amongst Fed staffers? Oh, that's a great idea. This guy's the most brilliant person ever at the Fed. Look, that was, a, that was the worst call, oh. followed closely by whoever told you to short treasuries in October of last year. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the worst calls you've ever seen... But he's really the guy who's carried the, the, the banner of quantitative easing, Bernanke, historically. The Bernanke Doctrine. Right. It has a name. At the 2007 Jackson Hole, he took a small group of his closest advisors, which, by the way, is kind of against Fed policy, off into a <laughs> side room at Jackson Hole, and they sat down and ironed out what QE would look like. Oh, seven. Yeah. This is before the onset of the crisis, at which point it was determined we must get to the zero bound first. Mm-hmm. So when people like my former boss, Richard Fisher, raised their hand at the FOMC meeting yeah. and said, maybe we should stop at 2%. We do have this little thing called the money market fund industry in this country. Our financial structure is not the same as Japan or Germany. We can't do this. Yeah. You're going to put money market funds out of business. At which point, because Fisher didn't know, Yeah. at which point... Bernanke said, no, we've got to get to zero. Bernanke put a lot of people out of business. I think that if, I think if you really, like, somebody should really write a better book about the Ben Bernanke. I mean, he, 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 he literally went dovish too quickly, gave you $150 oil, and insured what you wrote about this morning, which is the mighty U.S. consumer is struggling. Yeah. Again, no shit, Sherlock. If you jam them with their highest pieces of yep. cost of living, now they're gonna, their real consumption spending is going to fall. And yeah. isn't it happening again? Like, because we went easy so quickly. We did. 
it is happening again. Look, Bernanke put Greenspan out to pasture. <laughs> it's Literally. a matter of public record. Volcker just wrote about it in a Bloomberg opinion piece. Oh, I didn't see that. Paul Volcker himself He's just wrote a column, and he went through the back and forth between Yellen and Greenspan at an FOMC meeting where Greenspan was saying, no inflation target. Don't go there. Whatever you do, don't go there. Inflation, if you want to target it, great. Make it zero. That's what inflation should be. Why are you advocating 2% so that you ensure Americans that you're going to destroy their buying power? And Yellen said, I'm insistent on this inflation target. Mm -hmm. We have to have it. And the minute, I mean, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out the door, Alan. The minute he was out the door, Bernanke put that inflation target in. Big time. And, and look where just, we are now. And Janet just Backed into a rammed hole. it right through the next set of doors. Oh, yeah. And there, and there you had it. As soon as she saw deflationary risks reappear in, in early 16, whoa, she went dovish faster than Slowest, anybody. Slowest, most glacial, <laughs> tightening cycle in the history of the Fed. And she looks like such a sweet person. Yeah, well, they all look nice. Um, again, these are great people, I'm sure. I mean, I'm uh, not saying they're bad people. It's, if, if but we don't I'm say saying that, if, if don't, they don't acknowledge... The, which they don't. They deny that they have widened the inequality divide. Mm-hmm. They deny it to your face. They mm-hmm. deny it when asked outright. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, Powell denied financial instability at his most recent press conference mm-hmm. and an internal, pe- and he said in the press conference, we've just been briefed on this, there might be a little something, something going on in the corporate bond market. Oh, yeah. That's about all he gave. And then you see the financial stability report hit the wires and, you know, they're like red flashing lights. We got used to, we got a problem here. And they won't own up to it. Yeah. Well, that's so, I mean, I, I have to make, an, as you all know, there, you have to make an obligatory comment sometimes if you're being critical. You have to say, oh, they must be nice people. But where I'm from and where I grew up, if you lie to people, you, you're not nice. You're like full of it. I mean, so th- th- that's a big problem. I think that this well, problem is going to be ongoing. That's why I, have, I think you have to draw the line between whether... It's the law of unintended or the law of intended consequences. Yeah, yeah. blind, you know, w- willingly blindness. I mean, I mean, being willingly blind, anybody can all get rich on that. I mean, it's of fine, course. but it doesn't make it right. You know. Uh, anyway, we're, we're going down. Well, I think Where? people are enjoying this part of the discussion. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, why does the Fed, Danielle, hate gold, but China and Russian, China and Russian central banks love it? Because China and Russia have the largest contiguous land border on the planet, and they like each other, and they can complement each other's efforts in the future to dethrone the dollar? Was that a trick question? Ooh, that's pretty good. I like that answer. And that was tight. You've thought about that one. That's cool. But why does the Fed hate gold? Because they're not sound money people. Ooh, really? Let's hear more about that. Yeah, and by the way, it, it, <laughs> look, Bitcoin is not the next gold, so... That'll make me popular. But what, you know, Rogoff, tell us more about, like, the elimination of money uh, and why we don't, yes. we, we don't want to like gold. <clears throat> Negative interest rates, according to Mr. Rogoff, what we needed in order to deploy them, unlike Japan, was a smoother propaganda campaign to educate the public on the virtues of negative interest rates. So that's Ken Rogoff, step one. <laughs> step two is you penalize people for holding physical cash. Mm-hmm. So a dollar in your pocket is going to be worth 97 cents. 
but a dollar in a, an electric bank account that we can monitor mm -hmm. because we're Americans and we should monitor things like China. That dollar in your bank account is going to be worth 100 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. With negative interest rates while we totally trash the value of it. Mm -hmm. And the banks that are holding it. Yeah. No. There, we no still gold. not solve for that, that small no conundrum gold. there. And Germany is building up its, its gold stores. And Germany is building up its military for the first time since the, the Second World War. Yes. There's some stuff going on Lots. out there because if inequality divides are ignored indefinitely, you got more than a currency war mm -hmm. on your hands. Yes, indeed. I'm going to have records in here on that uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, another good question here. I have an answer for this, but I want to hear yours first. Uh, if if and when the U.S. formally introduces this MMT, they're talking about the academic kind, can other central banks afford not to follow suit? How should we think about that? That's a really good question. Um, but don't you sort of kind of think that because other central banks where you have state-run guaranteed private, excuse me, public pension plans, don't you think that quantitative easing effectively funds MMT in, for example, Europe mm -hmm. or Japan. It's just, it's not, it doesn't go by that label, but in a way, you're putting the dog before, the, the, car, the horse before the cart yep. with that question, mm -hmm. because the right. real question should be, when will we catch up with other yeah. central banks? Yeah, a really good question, uh, or a really good answer to, to, to also a good question, I think, because if you just kind of, I, I like to try this all the time, okay, let's just assume there's a probability of getting to this place on growth, inflation, or policy. We'll talk a lot about policy here. And just let's, let's flesh that out. Like, what does the world look like there? And the reality is that most people that are, even if they're underlings at central banks, even Central Bank of South Korea, pick your central bank. They all went to school in the U.S. They're all taught by the same people to oh, do yes. the same thing. You know, so of course they're going to do Look, you know. I mean, if, if there's one thing that I follow the most closely, it's what the Canadians are doing. Because... <laughs> It's clear that there's a bat phone that goes on between the two of them because it's like, well, should we get rid of patient? I don't know. Should we get rid of patient? I mean, there's a symmetry between Canadian central banking and that of the United States. Oh, yeah. So, and Canada tends to move first. Yeah. So. Let's go for it, guys. The only well, rational people out there are the Australians. Because there's, there's, they're, they're, it's all about incentives. Like, where are these people going to work when they're done serving so publicly and truthfully? You know, where is P.E. Powell going to work after he's done with this gig? Where's he going to work? Do you have any ideas where he might work? You know what? I was wrong before on Hoover. I was thinking you were talking about Brookings. No, no, Hoover's. So I apologize. Yeah, that's fine. But, like, where do you think he's going to work? It just occurred to me because Hoover will hire, because yeah. Brookings will hire Powell. I'm thinking, Carla, I'm thinking, like, he's going to get a big check from, maybe he gets paid by multiple. Oh, it's so, it was so sweet recently to watch the head of the Carlisle Group. What is his name? David Rubenstein. Ruby, internally. I used to work Brilliant. With him. Yeah. Man, but it was yeah. so intriguing to watch him interview Powell. Yeah. Well, you actually Who hired do, him when you go to um, when you start truly and genuinely embedding a lie into people. In this case, you know the impacts of central banking and central planning on inequality. Pretty big topic. Um, you have to have really smart people, just like in politics. The best debaters are really smart people to perpetuate that narrative. You do. And we have lots of them in this country. And there are lots of financial incentives associated with that. And I'm probably going to have lots of less clients for saying that. Um, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Um, 
All right, we can film at my house next time. What, what do you think about, <laughs> okay, this is like, because we had, you know, Pippa Malmgren, I don't know if you know mm-hmm. Pippa or not, but she's on, on Hedge ITV a bunch. What, and they're calling it Malmgren's digital currency world. What do you think of the digital currency world? You've, you've spoken kind of on the edges of Bitcoin. Yeah, um, I think that I think that digitization of money is more a reflection of people's insecurity with fiat currencies. Yep. More than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do think that in terms of existing in the private realm is not a long term prospect because if the Chinese and the Russians and the Venezuelans, by the way, have investigated their own uh, cryptocurrencies, sovereign cryptocurrencies, if the Bank of England has come out publicly and said we're looking into one for the United Kingdom, I think if it eventually becomes a sovereign affair, then you negate the validity of having a private Mm -hmm. electric Currency. Yeah. So. Well, that's, I mean, that's uh, uh, Neil Howe, who's our head demographer, he's effectively mm-hmm. said that. He's like, look, interesting technology, but the government, it's so interesting that the governments are probably going to steal it, and those are going right. to be the legitimized ones. I think, I, think, I think most rational governments are kind of waiting for quantum to hit mm-hmm. so that it becomes a more efficient, effective cost. I cannot believe I'm saying bureaucrats want something to be cost effective. Mm-hmm. Efficient and effective cost yeah, effective. Okay. All right. We have to use a lot of words without saying anything. I was listening to Elarian yesterday on CNBC while I was driving. He blocks me on Twitter. Um, anyway, uh, moving along. Because uh, there are a lot of people like that. They, they'll just talk with no words that actually mean something. Like, give me a, a nowcaster, a forecaster. Tell me what's going to happen and be accountable to it. You know, of course, you know, these people, some of these people don't want to do that. Uh, you're, getting, you're getting some really big compliments. You're being called a brilliant lady. Oh. Uh, one loves your dress. Thank uh, you. I do, too. Wore it just for you. Wore <laughs> it just for you. Um, are we better off just having a tweeter in chief? I think they're asking relative to the Fed, because he's really he's really the competition for the Fed at this point. I don't mind his means because I have a second master's degree in this thing called journalism, and <laughs> I am a proud member of something called the Fourth Estate, which has left the country. So uh, you you cannot watch a major media news outlet and see news. Walter Cronkite was a liberal. Most people don't know that about him, and that's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. You leave your politics at the door when you put on your anchor hat, except in America. Mm -hmm. So if everything is going to be warped, and if everything is going to be presented to the public with bias, and you want to get your message out there, then do it directly. Exactly. Just do it. That's a good point, and that's how you've been. I mean... Uh, I'm sure you've said Oh, people are like, did she really just say that? And well, like, look, when you work inside of a place like the Fed and you don't have an agenda, it's like they, they put a price on your head. You know, they, they call their Italian cousin. <laughs> what do you mean you're not a Keynesian? Bro, you don't want I don't Italian understand. Cousin. What do you but, mean you don't have an agenda? I don't get it. You're kind of like the Ida Tarbell of old muckraking journalism. <laughs> right? I mean, she basically yeah. took down Standard Oil or was close to it. Yeah. Because she actually did what a journalist should do. She, and she was right. an investigative journalist. The men hated her. Um, certainly the men of that establishment. But yeah, I feel like that's my, my, my duty in this world today, is actually to dig, 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 and get the, to the truth as well. Of course it is. What, what, what point would why we would, not... why, why would you even Why would you even feign integrity if that wasn't what you were doing? But all of the media, to your point, you know, it, it does... I mean, that is their central purpose, is to feign integrity. 
yeah. at this point. It's an interesting thing. And, and it's interesting that you answered the Trump question that way, because I don't think, I mean, him getting straight to the point, whether you like his point or not, gives it to the little guy and the little gal first. Yeah. Today. He's like, look, I'm going to move the futures by 100 handles. Why not? Because I can. Well, and I'm going to tell you at the same time that I'm going to tell right. that hedge fund. But while that's true, how do you think his tweets resonate with the 490,000 people who left the workforce in April when he's tweeting about how strong that 3.6% unemployment yeah. rate is for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. I, I was not giving you an opinion on the truth factor of Trump's tweets. Okay. I was talking about on the real time. And again, it's not political, but, but you will see certain media networks come out and not report on why the unemployment rate dropped. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree with you on that. Um, actually, people are interested in this thing on me being blocked by Elarian and others. Um, Coach Loracota was the first one to ever block me. That's what it was being asked. Like, who is who is she ever? She's so lovely. How, who is she ever? Who's no, ever you, do you know what I said? To you get, got blocked by Coach Loracota? I did. It was my first block, and I was so proud of it. Um, first block of consequence. It, well, I don't. I, I'm sure other. I'm, I'm sure the whole PhD community probably has blocked me. <laughs> If they can find their way to Twitter. Did you tweet at them or something? I, I replied to a tweet and said that Mester's dissent was refreshing and that it was nice to have a little bit of intellectual diversity on the Federal Open Market Committee. Block. Wow. And I said it as politely as I just said it to you. There was no sarcasm. There was no hashtag sarcasm. <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. It wasn't any of that. It was simply saying... She's lovely. She's refreshing. It's nice to listen to her. You don't want a bunch of yes men sitting around the table. And because that was what my boss used to be. That was what Charlie Plosser used to be. That was what Jay Powell started off as. Mm. Yes man. A non-yes man. No. He's, now he's yes man. Right. Yes, but I that was not what he. That's not who he was in October 2012 when he said QE is inflating a duration bubble across the entire credit spectrum and that if we ever try and exit, we might have a problem with credit spreads. That's what he said in October 2012. If you could get him like we are unplugged oh, right like now. like on, on truth serum? If, if you could get him and ask him the very basic question, which relates to what, uh, if you haven't seen uh, Danielle's new post today, the mighty U.S. consumer is struggling, yeah. um, and just time to the fence for a bit and say, hey, look, you keep saying that what you're doing is in the best interests of the American people. Right. Do you fundamentally believe that right now? Like, like how, how do you think he'd react? Because he used to be a cult like he is. He's a lawyer, He used right? to call it like he's... This is a man who worked for a dollar salary to educate the Congress of the United States of America on the perils of defaulting on its debt. He was always a patriot. Mm. And he never took the position of chair of the Fed for the money. He's worth upwards of $100 million. Powell's? Yeah. That's a pretty big number. Well, he did have a background in private equity, right? We yeah, went yeah. there, right? We yeah, talked about yeah, that, the Carlisle. There. I mean, you don't get poor when you get anyway. The whole PE, private equity, Powell thing. You know? But So the guy's worth $100 bucks, and you think that he would have the spine to tell the truth? All I'm saying is he doesn't need the Fed's pension. Yeah. He's not there so that he has, you know, health care for life mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he's not a bureaucrat. So do you think bones. he'd tell you the truth? No. <laughs> no. Absolutely no, not. I don't think he can. I don't think he has options. He doesn't have the optionality. We spoke about this the last time I was on. You you don't have optionality when you have a credit market on your hands that is a ticking time bomb. You don't have optionality because he understands that what happens if you blow a duration bubble across the full credit spectrum, how dangerous that is on planet Earth 
in a world where systemic risk can ignite yep. overnight, and you cannot have, according to his predecessor, another financial crisis in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So, so no, is, he would not tell me the truth. Because we only have a couple minutes left. So, so effectively, this is like a few good men. Like, he knows the truth, right. and his own credibility stands. He is the Jack Nicholson. Of- He's got to be screamed at. You can't handle the truth. And that's and that you think that if if you even had him offline that that he would say Danielle you know that I know so I just can't tell the truth. Yeah, the stakes are too high. He realized that. He saw pension public pensions fourth quarter bloodbath returns. I mean, what are you going to do? Go buy Illinois Munis, which the Fed will do one day. <laughs> who else is going to buy them when there's you know population zero? Yeah. Because the entire tax base has gone adios. Yeah. Well. Really makes me popular with people in Illinois when I say that. Well, it's sobering and it's angering and it's exciting. There's so many parts of this discussion that I'd love to, and we will continue it yes, at absolutely. some point. But thank you for being like on a very short list. This many people uh, that I know and can follow on Twitter that will actually tell it like it is. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks. That's what a real conversation is supposed to be like. I'm Keith McCullough. She's Danielle DiMartino Booth. You can follow us both on Twitter. Please do not block us. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As a reminder, new Hedgeye subscribers may qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions and conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.